You're listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Well, good morning. Well, it's great to see you all out this morning. You know what's really exciting to me is when someone comes in the door and they said, we listened online last night, we wanted to come here this morning. That's really exciting. So thank you. Thanks for being here. Grab a Bible and turn with me to the Gospel of John, the fourth chapter. The Gospel of John that's found in your New Testament there. The fourth chapter is we begin this weekend this, this brand new series. And I'm really excited about this series. It's born out of the things that I've thought about as I'm raising two girls myself. Two girls that are going to live in this world in which you and I find ourselves living and the things that I believe God wants them to know about themselves and about his creative plan for them. And so this week we look at what it means to be fully known. I want you to join me in welcoming Dan and Jenny back. They're over here on the right. They've been in Florida. They, uh, they don't look like it. They're about as pale as anybody I've seen coming in. But uh, I heard that Dan had as many as uh, 16 calls while he was on vacation. And so, Dan, you can have another couple hours off. If you, yeah, okay. So just be in at 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. Those of you that are new to MCC, it, it's so good to have you, and it's good to see those of you that have been gone for a little bit on fall break to have you all back as well. So I want you to tell me what's best. What, what's best? Blonde hair, brown hair, right? Is it blue eyes, green eyes, gray eyes? Is it an extrovert or an introvert that's better? Certainly not a pervert, right? We don't want to go there, right? Which is better, uh, someone that's bouncy and, and excited all the time or, or someone who's a little bit more quiet and to themselves? Let, let me ask you one better. Who decides? Who decides your identity? Is it the way that you preach or, or don't preach that's, that's deciding your identity? You perform well or, or you don't perform well under pressure? Is it all about our genetics? Is it, is it all about our experiences? Is it all about what someone else says? Maybe you grew up with someone who, who pinned you for a certain you. You had a lisp in school, or, or, or you spoke a little bit more uh, effeminate than others, and so you were labeled as, as gay or, or homosexual, and, and so you set out to explore that and, and to, to be, that, be involved in that type of, of lifestyle. And now you wonder, is this really who I'm supposed to be? Maybe like many, your parents pegged you for a particular you. And instead of noticing how God created you and the talents that he gave you and, and helping you bring those out, they, they kind of pushed you in the direction that they wish they had gone in life. Is who we are today simply the result of all of these things, or is there something more? You see, at some point, we need to come to this reality, that God is the one who decides our identity. That God as our creator is the one who formed us, who gives us life experiences, some good and some bad. God who forms us without 
error, taking into account everything that he sees that's going to play out into our lives. He sees all of that, and he creates us the way that we are. In John chapter 4, verse 28, there's a woman who experiences this very reality in her life. In John chapter 4, verse 28, she says these familiar words. As she rushes into town, she says, come and see. I want you to come and see this man who knows everything about me. He told me everything that I've ever done. This morning, I want us to go back, and I want us to look, beginning in verse 4, at the encounter that led to this reality, this moment of truth, this full disclosure of how she became fully known, not just to God, but to herself. John chapter 4, verse 4 reads, now he had to go through Samaria. Now, first of all, the he is Jesus Christ. Jesus was traveling. He was here on this earth. It was part of his, it was his ministry, and he, he was out, and he was speaking, healing, talking to others, sharing with them the good news. Now, he had to go through Samaria. And right away, if you highlight or underline, I want you to underline that had to go. Why did Jesus have to go there? Verse 5, Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given his son. Two names that we know from the Old Testament. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, letting us know of his humanity, right? His divinity clothed in humanity. He was tired, tired from his journey. He sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Now, there's several notable things about this passage, some of which you're familiar with, others that aren't here, but they're implied culturally. And the first is that, is that it's unusual for a woman to be alone at the well. It was tradition. It was just the way of life, right? They, they would be out early and then the cool of the morning. They, they would take their jars. They would go and fill them up because they need water at the house. They need water for the animals. They need water for the workers. And so it was unusual. Why, why was this woman, why was this woman alone? Well, later in the chapter, we see that she came alone at this unusual hour of the day in the heat of the day. She came there because she was often the focus of people's stares and glances. You ever walk into a room and, and somebody just stares you down? Well, she was tired of it. She was tired of that. And so she came in the sixth hour. Jesus asked her for a drink. Now, she doesn't know that this is Jesus. She hasn't met him. She doesn't know who he is. But she does know that he's a Jew, and Jews and Samaritans don't speak. They've had this thing going for generations. It all boils down to how they interpret the Old Testament. It all boils down to how they see the law. The Samaritans and Jews hadn't gotten along. They hadn't gotten along for centuries. But Jesus chose to go through Samaria. He placed himself at this intersection in this woman's life for a purpose, and that's what makes this account, the first sentence of it, so important to us. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, you know Jesus didn't have to do anything. 
He didn't have to do anything, but yet he chose to go. He could have traveled around Samaria. That's what other teachers did. They would do anything, even if it meant walking an extra five or ten miles, taking an extra day's travel, just to go around it. Why? Because they despised these people. Uh, They had such hatred in their heart. They had hatred in their heart because they were what? They were different. They were different. Isn't that why we're hesitant to be fully known, to be ourselves, sometimes even to walk into a room? We don't want to be rejected. We don't want to be seen as different. We We don't want to not meet everyone's expectations there. Isn't it why that first step from your car and through these doors was so difficult that first time? Yet Jesus had to go, tired as he was, fatigued and exhausted, sore. Something compels him to choose this place. Something compels him to sit down at this very moment in time to meet this woman who was hoping to avoid the stairs. (laughs) Of others. This is the first thing that I want us to understand about this encounter. We sang about it just a minute ago. And that is God always goes the distance to meet us where we are. He always does. Always. But it's up to us, as we're about to see, to allow him the opportunity to speak into our life. Now, the truth is, is we let a lot of less important people speak into our life every day. If you go to school, if you're enrolled in college, uh, you have people speaking into your life about subjects that have everything to do with God, but yet these people don't even believe in God. And yet we let them speak into our life on subjects of of sexuality, on, on subjects of, of, of what, what's important and what isn't in life. We, we put them on this pedestal. Students who have low self-image, so they, they try to pull the self-image of others down by, by bullying them and doing the things that they see their, their parents do. Circumstances and choices from our past that have no power over us except for that power that we give them in our lives, and and yet we listen to these things. This woman at the well notices there's something different about Jesus. First, he's a Jew and she's a Samaritan, and he didn't turn his head in disgust. He didn't get up and walk away. He didn't go, you know, all the things that we experience in life. In fact, he initiated the conversation. And I want you to notice how how easy he made it for her. When you're at the intersection of Jacob's well in life, what, what do you talk about? Well, you talk about water, right? Hey, give me, give me a drink. I, I'd love to have some of that water. And in verse 9, she just comes out and says it. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. What are you doing talking to me? <laughs> what are you doing talking to me? Now, we've all done this at one time or another. We've all had this opportunity. We've all had this encounter with someone else, and even, even with God, where we've, we have the opportunity to be ourselves, to be honest about who we are, 
Certainly of all the places that you can be honest about who you are, friends, maybe you've never been to a church like this, but you can be honest about who you are right here. Now don't come in and be bragging about it. Don't, don't pretend that you're at an AA or an NA meeting where you want to tell everyone your story and one-up them on how drunk you were or, or how bad your life was. You don't need to do that. But you can certainly come and you can be yourself about who you are. And we get these opportunities, but we get thrown off by the fact that we can't imagine anyone being interested in us just as we are. So we put up barriers. We, we sometimes just flat out say, you're popular, I'm not. What, what are you doing talking to me? Uh, you're smart, I'm an athlete. Few of you get that, right? Goodness. Don't you know my past? Don't you know who I am? Several years ago, many years ago, I was in between ministries. That was back when I was bivocational. I hadn't yet come to Memphis. And I got a call one day. Something had happened in my life. People had labeled me. I labeled myself, all right? And so I got a call one time from this this little Baptist church out in the country. And they called and said, we'd love to have you. We would really like to have you come and speak at our revival. And me, just, just like this Samaritan woman, I, I said, me? Uh, you, you know who I am, don't you? Yeah, yeah, you're Dave, aren't you? Yeah, that, that's me. I, I'm Dave who used to serve at such and such church. And you could hear the silence. Is it, you could have heard a pin drop on the other. And they, they said, oh, oh. Well, let, let me get back with you about that. Right? <laughs> It's funny today, but man, at the time, it was devastating. It was devastating because I began to see myself the way someone else had labeled me, even though it wasn't true. It wasn't me. The woman said to Jesus, right, are you sure? Are you sure you know who you're talking to? Are you sure that, you're sure that you know this? I, I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. And in verse 10, she opened the door and Jesus walked through it. And he said, listen, I know exactly who I'm talking to. I know exactly who I'm talking to. And if you could see beyond the label that you put on yourself, if you could see beyond what other people say about you or what you think that they're saying about you, if you could only see the one who is standing before you, you would ask me for a drink. Verse 10 says, listen, Jesus always meets us with an invitation. He always meets us with an invitation to be filled with truth and life. He always meets us with that invitation. If you're willing, if you're willing to let him in. But once again, the woman deflects his invitation in verse 11. How are you going to get water when you don't have anything to draw water with? The well is deep. Verse 12. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, 
who gave us this well, who drank from it himself and did as his sons and his flocks and, and his herds drink from it. I, I can hear words, can't you? Can I trust you? If, if I let you in, if I buy what you're, you're saying that you're really interested, can, can you even do it? And here's the second step to being fully known, always. And that is being fully known is risky. It's risky. And each one of us have to make that choice of who we're going to trust. But there is one who you can trust, and that's the one who knows you best. You, you see, she knows her Jewish heritage. She, she knows who Jacob was, right? She probably has some level of faith, but Jesus is offering her more. Verse 13, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. This water right here in this well. But whoever drinks the water that I give him or her will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give you will become in you a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In verse 15, she jumps right on that. Well, give me this water then. I won't have to come back here every day. I won't have to face these other women in town. I'll never be thirsty again. Now, she doesn't know how right she is, but she also still doesn't get it. She sees what Jesus offers as a physical fix, just like all the other physical fixes she has tried for years that now defined her when what Jesus was offering was so much more. And so Jesus keeps gently pressing. Now, if you know the story, you know what's about to happen. Jesus is about to offer her an opportunity to come clean, to, to disclose the, the truth, at least the truth that she's been labeled about herself. Verse 16, go home, he says to her, and bring your husband back to the well. And here it comes. I have no husband, she replied. Now, Jesus knows the truth about us. He knows every detail about this woman. Knowing that she had risked a little, Jesus continued to reveal himself more. Verse 18, he reveals he not only knows that she isn't married, but how many times she's been married before. And in verse 19, this woman must have felt totally exposed at this point. As soon as they talk about her life, she changes the subject. She deflects the attention off of her and back onto Jesus. Sir, Sir, I can see you're a preacher. I love it when I go to lunch with Bill Stone, and he introduces me to some of these rough guys he hangs out with at the fire museum. And Bill's in the middle of telling some coarse joke about, you know, his wife or something. And, and, and then he decides to introduce me as the preacher, right? And the person who's been there taking it all in, just laughing up, oh, oh, uh, preacher, uh, what, what do you think about this end time stuff? Right? What, what, what do you think about President Biden? Or, you know, is, is he the uh, Antichrist? They start asking these questions. That's what this woman's doing, right? Sir, I can see you're a preacher. Tell me. And she thinks, of a, where's the best place to go to church at? Right? So I go to church out here with the, my husband when he's hunting. Oh, well, my boyfriend when he's hunting. 
Or, or should, should we go in town to the big church, the big temple? Where should we, where should we worship? But Jesus didn't stop. Why bring up the husbands, though? Why push her to be so transparent? Because he wanted her, her identity, this is how she saw herself, and he wanted her to know that true healing, true healing, truly accepting our God-given identity as a follower of Christ means that we have to come to grips with the lies about ourselves or the labels that have been placed on us outside of him. And so he pushes her a little bit more. See, in being fully known, God requires that I confront the thoughts and the choices and the circumstances that I've allowed to, to master my life, to see my life the way that I see it. Remember Jesus' core mission, his purpose in coming to the planet, what? Was to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to reclaim us. He came to restore us, redeem us. John 3.16 says that he came out of love. But do you ever read John 3.17? For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. One of the most redeeming realities of Christ is that he tells us the truth about who we are. He tells us the whole truth about who we are without shaming us without putting us down. And that's life-changing in and of itself. So Jesus is having this conversation with her. It's truthful, but it was spoken with gentleness. He wasn't condemning, but what he had to say reflected that he had insight into her life, just like he has insight into our life and the changes that were possible for her, one of which was her worship. She brought it up, and so he addresses worship. Is she going to worship the opinion of others? Or is she going to worship the opinion of God? Uh, that, that's what it boils down to. Jesus says the worship that God desires can only come through a one-on-one -on -one relationship with him. And guess what, he says? The time's come. Here I am. Here I am. Romans 12, one of my favorite passages. Paul comes to the end of explaining to us who Jesus Christ is and what he's done. And with all this exuberance, he says, so this is what you do. You take your everyday, ordinary life. You take it all and you lay it before God as an offering, right? You say, here I am, God. Here's the labels that have been placed on me. Here are the labels that I placed on myself. Here are my mistakes. Here's where I've been. Here's how I see myself. And then I know, I know it doesn't line up. And so, God, I'm going to give myself to you. God, what is it that you want from me? And God simply responds, I, I want you to glorify me. I want you to shine in all the world so that when men and women see you and they see the change, well, they'll praise me. They'll praise your Father in heaven. I, I want your marriage. I want your relationship with your children. I want your work ethic. I want your language. I want your generosity, your faithfulness to point the world to me. And, and that's where I summarize this. And, and this is where last night I, I got to this point and I thought, man, I 
two or three people were asleep in the room, and it, that wasn't their fault. A uh, good, good, good guy that's been worshiping with us, he, he came up to me and he said, man, last week's sermon was really good. Th- this week, though, it was that boy singing over there. You know, he had a really good voice. I'm like, man, I just, this is just not going the way I hoped it would. <laughs> but here, here it is, and uh, just think through this with me. And that is, we are fully known as God is made fully known. For some reason, God wanted me to to write it this way, and, and, and I'm still not for sure I totally understand it. But let me try to explain it. The God of the universe, the creator of all things, who was and is and is to come, the eternal God, the eternal God was willing. In fact, he said of himself, I have to go through Samaria. I have to go. I have to be here at this intersection with this nameless woman with five prior husbands and a man that she lives with now. I had to be there so that when she came today, when she came today in the heat of the day, I arranged it so the disciples would be gone so that they wouldn't say anything stupid, especially Peter. I sent him to town for food. I want you to think of all the things that God did underneath this encounter to set it up to be this way. Even with all of our manipulation, we couldn't do that. But God arranged everything so that he could be here at that moment. She tries to brush him off, but he's tenacious. He continues the conversation. He digs deeper. He lets her know what he knows about her. And he's still there talking to her. He's still there leading her slowly to the truth, not only about herself, but about his identity. And and that's what I'm having such a hard time putting words to, is that I believe God does the same thing for us. That my identity, how I see myself, is evolving every day that I lean into him and I learn more about him. And he reveals more of himself to me. Not while I'm in the shower. He doesn't speak audibly. He doesn't tell me to write another gospel or a book. But he speaks to me right here. He tells me. He reveals things to me. When I align my life with his word and I say, I'm going to be this type of man. And no matter what, I'm not backing down from this because I am convinced And yet when people push me down, when they say, oh, you're the guy, how can you you do this when, when everybody else is shutting down, right? The more I lean into him and I trust him and I'm alone in him in that, the more I recognize that he's there. Does that make any sense? I, I, I can feel it and I, and I see it and I know it and he's proven it to me, but it's, it's sometimes hard to just, to just express it. This account between Jesus and, the, and this woman, by the way, just a little interesting fact, is the longest encounter that Jesus has with a human being while he's in his ministry. He's been with blind people. He's been with lame people. He's been with moms and dads whose children are sick and have died or are dying. And yet, he spends the most time with this woman who is messed up about how she sees herself. 
only to explain to her who he is and who she can be in him. The account ends with verse 28. She left her water jar and went back to the town she lived in and told everyone, come see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Now, now just hold, hold right there for just a second and take that in for a minute. She went to the town in which she lived. She went to her neighborhood. Who's in her neighborhood? The people who've stared her down for years. Who's in her neighborhood? The people who have probably called out to her. Hey, you loose woman. Hey, maybe if you get married again, it'll fix things for you again. You want to try that again? She goes back to these same people that she had been trying to avoid, which is what brought her to the well to start with. She goes back to them, and she speaks with courage. And she speaks with, well, come see this man. You've got to see him. He's changed me. He knows everything about me. Can you see the transformation already? It says they came out of the town, verse 30 says, and they made their way toward him. Verse 39 says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him. Why? Because of the woman's testimony, because of the change in her. They said to the woman, so now they're talking to her. Never talked to her before other than to shame her. We no longer believe just because of what you said. But now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. She left her water jar. <laughs> her water jar. The thing that she came to have filled. Surely she'd come back and get it, right? Because she's, she's going to be thirsty. She, she's going to need water. The animal's going to need water. The men are going to need water. Surely she's going to come back and get it. Why would she leave it? Why would she leave it? Because her real jar, this jar of clay, this person, had become fully known. She was able to leave it all there with him. There's nothing that was hidden from God, nothing hidden between her and Jesus. She was able to leave it there. And that's when she felt her thirst filled for the first time the real thirst inside of us <laughs> to be able to have full disclosure. Here I am. Here's all the junk. And God say, I'm not going any place. I'm going to sit right here with you. Be filled. Be filled. My friends, that is my deepest desire for my girls <laughs> is for them to be able to be completely transparent first with mom and dad, right? And that only comes by them being fully transparent, disclosing everything to God and letting God fill them, letting God speak into their life the beauty of how he created them and gifted them and formed them. It changes everything. And so this morning, here, here's the plea. It's simple. Whatever intersection of life that you're in right now, what, whatever it is, the intersection between how you've labeled yourself and who God says you are, 
I want you to know God is as present here right now at that intersection as Jesus was at Jacob's well that day. He's right here. He's right here. And he already knows. He's just waiting for you to say it not, not to me. You don't have to confess your things to me. You don't have to confess it to the people around you, even though after time, a little bit of that helps, James says. It, it makes us whole. But he's waiting for you to tell him, yeah, you know me. Yeah, you know me. I, I want what you're offering me. <laughs> you may not understand it completely at first, but you, you know it's something. It's something that you want. Here's my jar. Fill me up. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, thank you for today and thank you for bringing some clarity. And I, and I pray you'll just continue to do that, not, not just for me, but for everybody who listens, uh, the amazing number of people that you, you call to listen online and, and then those people who've listened who, who come and they, they want to experience more. They're tired of sitting alone but they want to be around other people. And God, today I pray that they would be freed from how they view themselves and how they think others view them and that they would be concerned only with what you say about them, who you say that they are. And your word, Father, says that, that from the very beginning it was your plan to choose us, to bring us into your family. That, Father, before we were even on our mother's womb, that you defined us, that you saw us, and you put us together in that secret place, the very core of who we are. Father, may we be loose to live according to that. And thank you for sending Jesus, who's the way, the truth to that life. And so today, for those who come, outside of a personal relationship with him. Well, that's where our worship begins. May they come and may they be baptized. May they turn to you and may they begin to grow in your grace and love and knowledge of who you say that they are. For those, Father, who come today that have been doing this walk with you alone without the encouragement of others who, who aren't trying to pull them down but to lift them up, the church people, Lord, who have been at your well and drank from you, who now have this living water flowing from them. Lord, may they come and may they take their next step to, to saying, I'm all in. I, I want to be part of this group. Father, for those who need more one-on-one -on -one prayer or just that whisper of encouragement in their ear, well, Lord, then may nothing inhibit them from coming at this intersection right now where you're at. May they see you and receive what you have to speak into their life today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to be up here, and I'd love to encourage you in one of those three ways or, or something more. If you, if you want to come, I'll be right here. <laughs>